Welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, where we're gonna have a religious experience after watching Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> Maybe. <More or> less. <laughs> Maybe. We shall see. No, seriously, today we're gonna be talking about the psychology at Stephen's Martyr. In fact, we're going to be looking a little bit at Acts chapter 7, then we'll be going through some Old Testament stories, doing some cardinal virtue tests, and learning really what it means to be a holiness people and have discernment in an age which is really crazy. So we probably need Walker, Texas Ranger back though, so I don't know, we'll see. I am Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Who looks a little bit like CD over there. Got the mustache. I have a mustache, too. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us today as we begin? Yes, and I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say I had a mustache. All right, let's compose nope. ourselves. <laughs> let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your mercy and love and laughter. And so we pray as we engage in the ridiculous and in the serious that you would continue to transform us into your image. Be with your people, we pray. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, so All Saints Day is coming up, but our conversation is not really going to be about that, hmm. but it is going to be about a saint. And today we're going to be talking about Stephen. Now, we have a lot of kids named Stephen. We have a lot of relatives probably in your family named Stephen. It's a very common name. Why do we want to name our children after Stephen? In fact, I've got several people in my church who have biblical names, things like Ruth, names like Anne. We name our children a lot after biblical characters. And why is that? Why is that? The answer is so obvious that it almost is strange that somebody would ask the question. They have done wonderful, heroic things that have testified to the goodness of God and godly character. And today we're going to be talking about the psychology of resolution and how we as people, we want answers. And when people bring us those answers, a lot of times we want to name our children after them. Mm -hmm. You don't see a lot of children named after the chief priests. <laughs> you don't see them named after the religious leaders who resisted Jesus. You mm -hmm. don't see that happening a lot. You go back to Numbers chapter 16, where Korah rebels against Moses. And Moses is like, you so bad that God is going to do something entirely new. You're not going to go to the abode of the dead. No, no, no. There will be no judgment for you. In fact, the ground is going to go up straight to hell, straight to Sheol. There will be no judgment, no waiting, no death, just straight to Sheol, straight to the abode of the dead. And it happens. <laughs> it's a very serious thing. You don't find a lot of people named Korah. <laughs> Aside from some of the, oh gosh, I forget what it's called. There's some some story. Oh gosh, I'm embarrassing myself. Oh, but uh, we don't know a lot of people named Korah, do we? The, no, uh, boys. No, not boys. And, and I think the Korra that I'm thinking of from uh, the, the sequel series to Avatar The Last Airbender, that's based on a different uh, even language and nationality right, right. story. So, yeah, no, I don't think anyone's naming their children um, that are like Ananias and Sapphira or yeah. <laughs> other such characters. You don't get, get a lot of that. You don't get any canes. No, you might no. get an Abel, but you're not getting canes. Yeah. So it is popular in Christian conversations to discuss being uncomfortable, right? Mm. Or living against the culture. But what does that really look like? You know, in our modern world, there's a large movement of, of people who, who really are comfortable. And this oftentimes manifests where they use the language about going outside the comfort zones or living counterculturally or things like that. But in truth, the way that our church culture is designed, like our, our institutions and the way we really put together all of our literature, the way we form our songs, the way we really form our theologies, is largely designed not to rock the boat and to kind of quell any sort of divisions which might come above us. And, and quite honestly, if we look at our situation in the world right now, a lot of times we, we do feel 
as if division is something which we always put in kind of the negative connotation. But in truth, when we look at how movements happen over the course of human history, when we look at how great revivals happen, when we see great evangelistic enterprises which brings large swaths of people to know the Lord, they actually happen after a conflict Hmm. where there has been a great division. But the great division is not quelled by simmering down both sides, but instead they reach a pinnacle point where something is resolved. Mm-hmm. You see, we as a species, I know I've been teaching out of Genesis chapter 1, the natural law. We are made to serve God. We always are looking for something to serve. If we're away from God, we pervert that. We're always looking also for something to dominate. It's woven into our DNA at a very natural and biological level, this impetus that wants to have dominion. And when that gets perverted too, because we're supposed to have dominion over the earth, then we start to want to dominate one another, and it gets really mm-hmm. wicked, really tyrannical very quickly. But Amid all of those things is a strong desire to know, to know where you stand. Who is the master? Whom do we rule over, um, whether that be in a responsible way with a good character like Esther or Nehemiah or a wicked way like Nebuchadnezzar or some of the foul kings we have throughout the Old Testament? We want to know where we stand. And we in the church, we have to understand that the object of Christianity is not to avoid conflict, but instead to enter into the conflict with repentance, forgiveness, truth, and mercy, and be willing to not live in accordance with anything like fear, but instead to actually be willing to sacrifice ourselves to the truth. Jesus ultimately is the the penultimate example of this, of sacrificing oneself to the truth. He even says right there with Pontius Pilate as he's concluding his interview before being crucified, I came to testify to the truth, to which Pontius Pilate looks at him and says, well, what is truth? Chaos verita. Do you use the Latin there? Um, well, today I want us to go and look at Acts chapter 7. But I've been doing a lot of talking. <laughs> we name our kids after Stephen because of the testimony he has. It's why Walker, Texas Ranger actually failed, as good as that TV show is. You don't see enough young men born after like 1995 being named Cordell or Trevette or Walker or CD. It's a shame. It's a shame. Our, our society would be much better off if that were the case. <laughs> but we do see names like Stephen because of the saintly influence they had. And before we dive into the psychology, I've got a bunch of notes and things laid out. I do want to open up the table just so Pastor Mike and Pastor Amanda can jump in and, and kind of talk about the importance of that saintly influence and, and why we do aspire for figures like Stephen and not, not some others. Pastor Mike, why don't you come on in? Well, you know, I think uh, the... Well, first of all, it's it's recorded in the Bible, and I think that has a lot of people looking for uh, biblical names, but also people of great character and um, and a strong faith. And so we see, you know, Stephen uh, never wavering, and and you know, it, we want to see our children grow up to be that that strong, have that strong faith to be um, that that Christian who, you know, God uses in a powerful way in this world. So I, I think, you know, that from a parent standpoint, I, I can see why they choose those names. Um, and, and again, you, you don't hear anybody named Festus. We hear people named Paul. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and you can see the big difference when you, when you analyze those two in the book of Acts as well. But, uh, you know, Stephen, um, obviously, um, you know, there is so many... Christ-like reflections, even in his martyrdom, that it points us straight to Jesus. 
Yeah, and we're going to look at some of those in a moment. But Pastor Amanda, I'll let you kind of come in. Yeah, there's uh, there's a, a story in it. It's probably more a myth, but there, of Alexander the Great, and uh, he he after a battle, they they rounded up all the people who tried to flee flee the battle that was on his side, that trying to defect or not defect. Uh, anyways. And he gathers them and he goes through the line of all these soldiers and he asks them their name. And I guess he has to record because, you know, they abandoned the battle. So bad things are supposed to happen. And so he goes through, gets their name, and he finally stops at this one soldier. And the guy kind of very sheepishly says, oh, my name's Alexander. And Alexander the Great grabs him and pulls him in close and says, change your character or change your name. And this is the, the, the kind of thing I think what we're talking about is there is power in words. Right. Now, granted, just because a parent calls their kid Christian, names their child Christian, doesn't automatically make them a right. Christian. But there are power in these words that we say sure. and we do. And especially there is a connection that when parents are saying, this is what I hope for you. This is what I uh, desire for you, that you are not like you're not going to name your child garbage. You're going to name your child something admirable because you want them to be that you, you want them to live into that and, and so there, there's something about that when we look at scripture and these names and the legacy it's more than just history or ideas from the past we're saying this is a future this is right, living and right. breathing and you get to participate in this and sure. so even though that one day the child will be old enough to make that choice for themselves whether they participate or not the parent is setting a foundation sure. that is calling them uh, to, to, to participate, to even know that this is an avenue to participate in. Absolutely. And with that, let's jump into the psychology at Stephen's Martyr. Now, we're going to be going to Acts chapter 7, beginning in verses 54, reading all the way down to verse 60. So this is the very tail end of Acts chapter 7. Um, I highly encourage you to go read the whole chapter. Read 6 and 7, and you'll learn a lot about Stephen. Now, what we see happening here, just to give a quick backstory. Stephen has been called to be in the church. He's been given a certain amount of leadership. Now, the church is not as institutionalized as it will be in the future, but nonetheless, he has a very significant role, and he's been before the Jewish ruling council, and he's basically been interviewed by them. This is their judicial system. They're trying to figure out what is going on. How do we silence the name of Jesus? There's too much evidence, by the way, for us to just dismiss it. Hmm. Jesus has rose from the grave. There are these miracles. We cannot deny them. What they really want to do is just cut out people's tongues and silence them, but that's not going so well. So they bring in Stephen, and he gives a beautiful testimony. He preaches. He shares the the glory of God. He testifies of his faith, and it is very compelling. And now these Jewish rulers, these who are really trying to adjudicate this, they reduce themselves to toddlers. And before I get into the scripture, I want to kind of talk about some things from history. So Karl Marx, one of the things that he would talk about, the kind of father of Marxism, socialism, communism, um, really produced a lot of ideas that did wicked, wicked things on this earth, killed so many millions of people. We can't even fully understand how many millions of people were killed. But one of the things that he talked about is how in a society there is a superstructure that would be something like religion which kind of manifests around. It has your schools, your academies, your judicial system, the morality that people espouse and things of that nature. And then beneath that, you kind of have the substructure, which is something in the subconscious of people. And things like class warfare, they exist out there between these structures, and you can use it to really manipulate people. 
A lot of times you can talk about class warfare, you can kind of create all these structures and things like that and claim to be doing something good when in fact you're perpetrating the very evils that you claim to be standing against. I mean, you've seen that with people like um, Stalin and a lot of the wicked he did and Lenin there, Vladimir Lenin and kind of the, the just evils they worked. They claimed to be trying to help those who were poor, but in truth, the evils they, they created were, were far worse than, than even the things which existed before, which were also bad. I mean, it was bad things being replaced by even more bad things. But here in Acts chapter 7, there is a superstructure that the Jewish ruling class has. You know, they're the experts. Trust the experts. We're the people who are attached to the law. We understand the law. In the television show, The Chosen, you have a Pharisee, I think Shmuel is the character in the show, that says the law is God. In other words, God is the law. They're one and the same. They, they turned the law kind of into their idol. They had this superstructure which was built. They had the facade. We have our official narratives, our official news outlets. We have everything. Don't go outside of it. Jesus was outside of that. He rocked their boat. And things like the miracles, the testimony of Stephen were so powerful that it brought down that superstructure. Hmm. And what you see happening here is the psychology of what happens when those people who had at one point in time been the experts, they devoted their lives to this, they had invested all their resources into being these experts, when they get proven that their system, their structure is not as reliable as they claim it to be, not as genuine as they claim it to be. This is what happens to them. And this is a psychology which happens to people in the real world. Acts chapter seven, verse 54. Now, when they heard this, they being the religious leaders, they were infuriated and began gnashing their teeth at him. We should never forget, when the Bible uses the language of weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is not what the devil looks like. That is what the devil wants his victims to look like. That is mm. what hell has in mind for you, not for them. I don't know. Maybe they enjoy torment as well for themselves, sadists. Anyways, but they began weeping and gnashing their teeth at him, at Stephen. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, who was standing at the right hand of God, and then Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. We've already seen these people who are supposed to be professional, right? They have the furrowed brow. They're professional. They've got all the temperament, all the tone. They're, you can't have an issue with them. They're, their speech is like snakes. You can't ever assail against them. They have an answer for everything. They are the mm. experts that shall never be questioned. Well, now they've got this man who is literally seen into heaven. They're killing him. They're stoning him. And as they're stoning him, he sees into heaven. And their reaction, there's not enough furrowed brows. There's not enough credentials. There's not enough tutoring years um, of scholarly work to protect them from this. So what do they do? Verse 57, it says, They shouted with a loud voice, covered their ears, and rushed at him with one mind. Mm. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called out on the Lord, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep in the Lord. Now what we see happen here is when that structure falls, they look like toddlers. Mm. And we've got some pictures here. Um, one of these pictures of Stephen being stoned looks kind of like it's in Egypt. It's kind of weird. The other one that I've got here looks like it actually has a child stoning him, which is just a, a despicable thing to think about, that children would be put up to this. Um, but this is a despicable scene. 
maybe the artist is trying to capture here that the religious religious leaders, all of them with their their mighty credentials, their you know proud reputations, they are reduced to children. Mm. And this is what happens when you expose fraudulent things. People are really good at holding on to fraudulent things. You know, I almost came in here and cracked a joke about are dinosaurs real or not today. Um, I've seen enough stuff be pulled over the world now. People go along with stuff without questioning it that that I'm kind of willing to entertain things that I wasn't in the past. I really have become Fox Mulder with Bible verses. Uh, almost brought my I believe, help my unbelief, the X-Files, you know, poster there. But what we see happen here is the deconstruction of these religious leaders. And I'll just let y'all kind of speak to that. Well, I think something that I have found in my life and in talking with a lot of different people in a lot of different places and in their walk with faith, uh, religion, uh, Christianity, whatever that particular kind of situation has been, is there is a place of such deep fear that they can't almost name that when the bag starts getting deconstructed, they're afraid of how much they're going to lose. Right. And I think it's very easy for us to just be like, oh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were just, you know, toddlers. And they are. They are. Like, they literally are throwing a hissy fit. I mean, is it not? Is that not I, the most yes. exact version of a hissy fit you ever heard? If you're stomping your feet and covering your ears and yelling, that is l- pretty much the definition of a hissy fit. But these people, they're more, they're, they're not just afraid of losing, um, I think they are afraid of losing their power, their affluence, definitely this is part of it. But I was looking up the line, so like we started with the passage that says, and now when they heard this, and I was trying to remember exactly what the last few verses before that were, and it says, uh, Stephen tells them, you are the ones that received the law, and yet you have not kept it. Oh, man. And I mean that, and right before, like a couple of verses before that, he calls them stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, which is just, mm, if you ever need an insult, that one is. <laughs> I know, this is a rich chapter. You, you really should read the whole, and it looks like so much to read, because it's longer than Peter's sermon at Pentecost, yeah. and it looks like it's so much, but if you ever want to hear the best sermon in your life, read the, the six and seven, because... Uh, I know when I had to preach this sermon, I basically just read the Bible and I was like, y'all, I can't add to this. But what what Peter, or what, I'm sorry, Stephen is doing in this, this sermon is he is looking the world in its face and he's telling them, you have all this great stuff. You have the history, the tradition, the law, the, the prophets. You should have been the ones that herald in the Messiah and you've missed it. And I think so much more than the Pharisees miss uh, or being afraid or the Sadducees being afraid, the Sanhedrin, there we go, more than just being afraid of losing their power, again, that's part of it, I think they realized what was getting deconstructed is they missed the kingdom of God. Yeah, right. And they didn't want to miss the kingdom of God. They didn't want to miss the hope and the peace and the love and the grace and the law, the structure, the order that that gave. And here it is, someone not kindly (laughs) telling them they've missed it. And I think that's something as pastors, what I've had to work through in this last year or two in in helping some of my congregants or even people kind of on the peripherals of my congregation is when we deconstruct these bad and harmful thoughts, we will never lose the, the good. 
We're not going to miss out on the hope and the grace that God has to offer. And there are some things that have slipped into our churches and our, our traditions that are harmful, and we need to call them out. But we will never miss out on the good things. And I think that's where the Sanhedrin, at this point, the story would have been so different if there was an altar call. Yeah, and I just want to come in real quick because the emphasis I have on this today is the psychology. And you've already nailed two points of it, but I want to rehash them. Hmm. One is the issue of fear, and it gets into the other. I'm not hardwired to sit around and, and honestly think much about fear. And I'm not trying to proclaim to be some like unique character over here. I have my other flaws. I actually come across being way too apathetic many times. I'm just not easily moved or impressed by many things. So fear is not something which really sits in my, my catalog of thoughts. But a lot of people are. And a lot of people will suspend a lot of rational thought just to appease fear. They'll mm. come up with crazy rationales for why they go along with things because of fear. When you take yeah. away fear, especially with a lot of things going on in our world, when you take away fear, none of what people are doing really makes any sense. Mm. But... Fear goes into the second point of psychology that I wanted to mention here. They have estimated the cost too high of going along with Stephen, mm. but they do not want to estimate the cost of Stephen being correct. Mm. And see, this is the thing. This goes back to my statement about rocking the boat. In the modern church, our institutions, our, our way of really governing things as a, as a Christian hierarchy, and I, I don't mean that it's like a, a na nation per se, I kind of mean just through everything we do, really is this mentality of, well, you know, we want to be countercultural to the world, but we don't really want to rock the boat hmm. when it comes to actually having victories and declaring what is true and what is not true. We estimate that the cost of, of having that boat rocking will be too high because there will be people who end up excommunicated, people who will walk away. But what we miss out is the cost of affirming truth is much better. It is much more valuable than the cost of if things are wrong. For instance, we, we see issues. There was a, a pastor in Canada a couple years ago that came out as an atheist, uh, a staunch atheist. So there is no God the Father, God the Son, um, God the Holy Spirit. And, you know, Marcion of Sinope called and he wanted his heresies back because <laughs> they basically quoted ancient heresies just like straight up. But the, the denomination in question kept them there, mm. saying that, you know, we're, we like to be you know, inclusive, have all these different perspectives and stuff, and they, they decided to keep the the pastor and not even take their credentials. And what we don't understand, a lot of people didn't want to send that away because they didn't want to push anybody out. But in truth, you win more people by declaring what is true. What you find here in Acts chapter 7, the reason why Pastor Amanda talks about this sermon being so powerful is because of how many people it brings to the to the table. We as a species want the resolution. We want the boat to be rocked so we know where we stand. Mm. Staving off the conflict between Stephen and the Jewish rulers gets nowhere. It's got to be done. And ultimately, this is a reflection of what happens with Jesus. In Luke's account of the gospel, Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here we see Stephen crying out to the Lord, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That is a, a perfect reflection of Jesus. Mm. And then he dies. Guess what happens at the end of rocking the boat? You die. You die. The, the good people probably die. But guess what happens thereafter? People come in droves to the church. People come in droves to know Jesus. Good things happen after that. Oh, it's ugly. Jesus does an exorcism. They beg him to leave. Go read Matthew 8. They beg him to leave. They hate it. They hate it. 
But that is so necessary to have that happen. Pastor Amanda brought up the two points of psychology, which I think really are the modus deceptio, the mode of deception that afflicts the the Jewish rulers here, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin throughout the time, is they estimate the cost of Jesus being correct. And they say the price is too high. Mm. We've invested way too much in our way of life as it is. We've got too much of a good thing going on in our relationship between Rome. They haven't smote us. They haven't forced us to, to fully surrender to the Pax Deorum and things like that, where we go in and have to do orgies in the pagan temples and stuff like that. They haven't forced that upon us fully. And it, it's, it's just too much of a risk to go along with Jesus. That's ultimately what you see said before Jesus. It's better that one man die mm. than kind of this whole system come down. But yet they have missed the kingdom of God because the real price to pay is not on them being wrong. The real price is actually on them being right. It's actually on Jesus being right, on mm. Stephen being right. Pastor Mike, your thoughts on all this? And we'll kind of wrap this well, section I, up you here. Know, I agree, but I think there's another element here of, of you know, their reputation is under attack. And if we under any, understand anything about a name, a name really is, uh, in some context, a reputation that people have. And, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about parents uh, naming their their uh, sons and daughters Christian names or, or maybe even Hebrew names uh, to show those great men and women of God to somewhat bring that reputation and, and, and a desire for them to live into that that reputation. But here you see, you know, uh, the Jewish leaders having this reputation of being the ones who know and have all the answers, and yet they don't, and they've missed it. And so the, this whole understanding of where we went, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that Walker uh, failed because there's not enough uh, kids named Walker. Well, neither do we have many named after the Sanhedrin either. No. Um, and so, you know, this is one of those places where I think we can see this reputation under attack and that they just literally have to try to— to, to kill it. But yet, the very thing that they wanted is the very thing that, that failed there. And I think it's in, important to uh, understand, even though it seems like they're under attack, true love speaks the truth. And Stephen right. is speaking the truth to them, even asking for forgiveness of their sins. They mm -hmm. will not have it because they're so focused on themselves and their reputation that they cannot even uh, see the kingdom of God before their eyes. Right. Yeah. And two things real quick, Pastor Mike, and I'll let you respond to them, and then we'll go on to our next segment. It is not because the price is of Stephen being correct is too high that they must kill Stephen. But instead, it is because the price of Stephen being right is too high that they must listen to Stephen. Okay? Yeah. And in our modern world, this is not about formulas, by the way. A lot of times we think this is about formulas. Our modern world has taught us to think on formulas and be like, oh, well, what if this person takes and turns that formula against you? It's not actually about that. It's about truth. Who is correct? Mm -hmm. It's not about who is willing to necessarily die for a cause. It's not necessarily about who has the amount of education, who has the sophisticated amount of speech. It's not about who is is doing this methodology or that methodology. We always focus on methodologies in our, our modern day age. Truth in the end trumps all of those things. It, it overcomes them all. It matters whether or not Jesus actually rose for the grave more so than it matters how Stephen organizes his you know ministry thereafter or anything like that. The fact of Jesus' resurrection is more powerful than is 
even the amount of education and the the mighty systems that these religious leaders have built around them. The truth has its way of vindicating itself. And maybe we go to Matthew 11, the wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. You know, mm. Jesus himself said something about this. Truth has a pesky way of showing itself. But it's not because the price is too high that they must ignore it, which is how most people think. When you bring in the equation of fear, people say the price is too high. I can't go down that road. No, it's because the price is that high that you must. Mm. And the second thing that you you kind of touched on there, Pastor Mike, um, well, actually, you, you touched on quite a lot, but but really, they, they had their reputations, and all of that comes into question. It's like I've invested my life in all of this stuff, and if suddenly I'm wrong, then I've basically thrown away my life. I've got too much of an investment here. I can't admit that. You see that at play here, and it it really is just a heartbreaking thing to to see all of this come together. But in the end, truth matters. Yeah, absolutely truth matters. And I think one of the things where we can look at this scripture, this passage, and realize that, yes, this is something that happened, you know, 2,000 years ago, but it's also happening today all around us. Right. And so I, I think that's important for us, and that's why we read these scriptures and how they, uh, while we read them, it, it helps to, to shape us, transform us, but it also keeps us with the the focus of Christ Jesus. Right. And of course, you know, as we look at this, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And and I think it's good and important for us to do that, just to keep that humility and keep us, uh, it's, um, you know, um, at, at a place of being Christ-like. Sure. All right, well, we got two more segments we're going to do, and they will be a lot more lighthearted. We're going to have some fun with the cardinal virtues, so we'll be back here in a moment. Thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos. We'll be back to go to the Old Testament now. Hmm. So, yeah, fun stuff. Fun stuff. All right, and we are back here in the studio. Thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos. We're going to be having some fun with the seven cardinal virtues. You know, in our modern day and age, we're very fixated on the seven deadly sins, which is fascinating because it's more of a hermeneutic of the Bible. In other words, it's an interpretation and application of the Bible. It's not something directly pulled from it. But we don't actually use the classical version of the seven deadly sins. You know, people talk about the seven deadly sins, and that seems like an ancient thing, but we, we don't actually use some of the older versions of that. And even totally gone from the conversation is the seven cardinal virtues. The seven deadly sins are, are basically anonyms and antithesis points to the seven cardinal virtues, which are faith, hope, charity, prudence, temperance, justice, and courage. Well, today here... In our last two segments, we're going to rate some things from the Bible. We like to do this. It's a game. You out there in the audience, you get to do this too. We're going to bring up a thing today. We're not actually rating people. We're, we're rating a donkey and then a hand. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> we're going to be doing some mysterious, spooky things today. On each of the seven virtues, they get a score between 0 and 10. And we'll see how this goes in the end. The first thing we're going to do is Balaam's talking donkey from Numbers chapter 22. So if you're not familiar with this story, Balaam is not an Israelite. He is a prophet from another land, but the Lord uses him for a little while. I don't know exactly what happens with Balaam. It's not specified totally in Scripture, but Balaam, Balaam eventually turns to a villain and basically gets whipped for the rest of eternity. Jesus 
um, speaks ill of Balaam there in the this letters to the seven churches. You find Balaam spoken ill of all throughout the New Testament, Old Testament. Balaam, I don't know what that man did, but he's on scriptures like whipping block. Whenever <laughs> a scripture needs somebody to make fun of, they go and be like, Balaam up. You're bad. You're like Balaam. Go get a whip. Go get a whip. Whip Balaam. Dad's over there looking. He does. Does he not get whipped all throughout scripture? Throughout. All throughout. Mm-hmm. So anyways, Balaam's donkey talks. Let's read the story real quick. Actually, would somebody else like to read this? Yeah, Pastor Amanda, can I you read, read it? it and then... All right, we'll let Pastor Amanda read this. Okay. So hear, hear the word of the Lord from Numbers 22. But God was angry that he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn in his hand, the donkey turned off from the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to guide her back to the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards with a stone wall on this side and on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, It is because you have made a mockery of me. If only there had been a sword in my hand, for I would have killed you by now. But the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been in the habit of doing such a thing to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because of your way was reckless and contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away from me, I certainly would have killed you just now and let her live. All right. So this donkey, we're going to be rating the donkey today on the cardinal virtues. And you know, the donkey is one of God's creatures. It's not made in the image of God, but yet it has been summoned for God's purpose here. And as we rate the donkey on the cardinal virtue scale, this is in a way, just seeing seeing how the other creatures react when they get stirred a little bit by the Holy Spirit to, to do the good things of God. So let's start with our list. And you out there at home, we encourage you to do this as well. So the first on the list is faith. Pastor Amanda, where do you give the talking donkey on faith on a scale of one to ten? Zero to ten. Zero to ten. No, I, yeah, uh, faith, I think, with God, a, a, a nine. You're going to give her a nine? Yeah, because, I mean, there is a lot of trust in knowing that that angel of the Lord, something powerful is happening, even if the donkey doesn't know exactly what, that this is not something to be trifled with. So I, I think there's a lot of faith that... Uh, Power will will do what it looks like it's gonna do. Yeah. All right, Pastor Mike, I'm gonna go ahead and give uh, the donkey a ten. It, okay. There seems to be even a loyalness to um, Balaam from the donkey, but most of all to to understand that, he, that there's some type of protection going on from the donkey. You look okay. at it in a couple different ways, and you know, just throw a disclaimer out there. 
Um, you know, Karl Barth, one of the great theologians of the, the 20th century, said we should never be embarrassed of those scriptures uh, like this. And a lot of people think, well, they're bizarre, you know, and we should we just ignore them. But he says, no, really, truly, something very powerful is happening in those strangest stories that we have in our scriptures. And something um, is very theologically sound there. So I think oh, there's sure. a, a, something here that we, I have to give uh, Balaam's donkey a 10. Yeah. Who, who darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up thy loins like a man and prepare to give me an answer. Who is embarrassed of this? I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm here for this. I want to believe. I mean, I don't understand this fixation with kind of taking sort of the, the beautiful mystery out of Scripture. Like creation is a beautiful mystery. Like music is mathematical, but yet it's beautiful. It's crazy. So uh, she gets totally a 10. The donkey here, totally faithful. And gets jerked around all over the place. She's kind of faithful to the angel's warning and then faithful to Balaam. Man, the donkey almost has too much faith. In fact, I am going to show you she got too much faith. I'm going to break my own rules and give her a solid. She's going to get a 15 out of 10 here. I'm giving her a 15. 15 out of 10 for the donkey on faith. I think the donkey has way in excess of faith. It is, it's crazy. You crazy. know, we were talking earlier about names, and, and uh, I don't know anyone named Balaam. Uh, no. For sure. But I do know that there have been TV shows in the past where the donkey talks. I thought you were going to say you know people named after the donkey and that no, was going no, a different direction. No, but there have been TV shows, uh, you know, all kinds of things there where, where, where the, donkey, the animals the, uh, talk. Yeah, it's a very inspirational thing. Pastor Amanda, number two on our list, hope. How hopeful is the donkey? What do you give it on that? Ooh, I, I, don't, I don't know. What, I, I think there's hope. I don't know. Um, I, I think that the donkey is maybe not hopeful, but anticipating again that th- this angel means business and does not seem very hopeful that Balaam's going to get what's going on. So uh, I don't know how to rate this. Could I wait? What is Mike going to say? Oh, I'm going to tell you, I, I, it took me about five seconds to think about this. Okay. A donkey that has been touched by God and is able to speak, I'm going to give him a, a 10. I give the donkey a 10 just for that reason. The 90s sitcom Touched by an Angel, Donkey (sighs) Edition. Yeah. Yeah, You get done with Walker, Texas Ranger. You know, what what is next? What What is is next? next? If God God has uh, opened the mouth of the donkey to be able to speak and use the donkey, uh, I think that that there has to be a tremendous amount of hope there. Okay. Okay. I think I'm going to give the the donkey an 8 because, yeah, I think there's a lot of hope, but... Again, human beings just seem to be very terrible. So, so there's not too much hope in, in the humanity of all of it. Yeah, I don't think there's much hope for for the donkey uh, when it comes to Balaam. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, who knows? We don't have anybody named Balaam that that I personally know. No. But at the end, of, I do think that that God gives the donkey hope. See, and I got to give her a, a fat zero. You know, there is no hope living with Balaam. She's faithful. That's the thing. She goes along with it, but there, there is no hope here. No hope. A fat zero for me. Pastor Amanda, the next one we've got here on charity, charity. Uh, or love. Sometimes this is defined as love, agape, but going with the classical definition, the willingness to empty out yourself for another. Where you mm-hmm. give her on charity? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her an eight on that one, too, because she gets beaten three times, and yet, or at least on, on, even before the third time. So those two times... She knows what she's risking by um, by not going the way that Balaam wants her to go. And she still decides that it's better to protect him 
and even if it's going to cause her harm. And I like how the angel's like, I would have killed you and saved the donkey. <laughs> and I don't know if the donkey knew that. Um, or maybe the donkey was self-preserving a little bit, too. Uh, if I saw a fiery creature with a but, sword, I'd, I'd want to avoid it as well. But Go read the King James Version. The, Balaam, Balaam is getting a whipping even in this chapter <laughs> because he's literally told uh, by the angel of, of the Lord, I prefer the donkey or <laughs> other language for that. I prefer that to you. Yeah. And so I, I think <laughs> I think she realizes what it's going to cost her and she's willing to have that cost be taken in a, in order to preserve Balaam. So I, I think there's great charity and self-emptying. Yeah, in sure, that. sure. Yeah. Pastor Mike. You know, uh, I'm going to go with the nine. I know I'm being very gracious to the donkey, but I think there's a certain amount of love here. Love causes us to do things to empty ourselves out. And even though there was, you know, obviously stuck between a rock and a hard place, you don't, um, you know, the, the donkey sees the angel of the Lord, not going to cross that. And yet the time, the, 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 the event has this recorded that the donkey crushed or pushed against the wall Balaam's foot. And I think that is a moment of saying, or at least trying to get his attention. And so I, mm. I think that is an element of love. I'm going to go ahead and give her, I think I give a nine. Nine. Okay. All right. Um, I, let's see here. Uh, a ten. Ten. Willing to empty herself out for another. Um, totally willing to do that. She she could just, you know, pull a, a Jonah and go be pouty somewhere, but she's she's willing to, mm. to suffer at the hand of a very bad Master, very bad hmm. um, passenger there. So I, I'm giving her a solid 10 for that. Hey, by the way, we don't know the name of this donkey. We don't. But there is Nestor the Long-Eared it, Donkey you know, that that comes, the little claymation movie that comes around around Christmas. Christmas, yeah. yeah so, or the Rankin Bass. Hey, you know, maybe I'm getting some lenses through that looking at this donkey, One of which them. is a very good movie. This, this is Nestor's... Uh, Nestor's great and an ancestor yeah, yeah. and and if you could do a movie on Balaam's donkey connecting that to Nestor and is it's as good as Nestor Nestor is one of the best Christmas films out there it's underrated and it's a talking donkey it is a talking donkey with long ears it is it captures the gospel so well you find his mother willing to lay down her life for a child and the crushing moment when Nestor's mom there in the snow oh my goodness the everyone on earth hates that donkey and it's very much a cat you know a microchasm for for life a lot of times people feel like no one loves me i have no purpose there's nothing for me i'm mocked i don't fit in and in the end god has a purpose for that donkey you will carry mary down to the birth of jesus it is a beautiful story beyond all all struggle well, and balaam's know. donkey god uses that with purpose too even mm -hmm. by Wait. speaking and yes yeah, so sure. nestor is way better than rudolph it's made by the same company that did the old rudolph and you know, all the Rankin Bass films. Nestor is great. All right, we got to keep rolling. We got to do this really quickly, y'all. Okay. So we got to do these rapid fire. Next up, prudence on the donkey. So, kind of that enduring wisdom, <laughs> you know, perseverance, prudence. I, I feel like I'm giving a lot of eights, but it, it, like she's very consistent. And I, I just also like tens is weird. But, anyways, I'm going to give her an eight on prudence because she knows, like, time she and knows. time again, she, knows. she has tested that and you avoid the angel. <laughs> Like, That's no matter right. how the circumstances change, you avoid the angel. Right. So, yeah, she gets an eight. All right, Pastor Mike. I don't know what to give a donkey, donkey on, on prudence. I'm going to go with a seven. It is a donkey, by the way. 
but it is a, a donkey of God's instrument. And um, I don't know, there there is wisdom, I think, that has been given by God to this Oh, beast. even animals oh, yeah. have wisdom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, a, a big ten. Big ten. Big ten. Moving on. Um, temperance. Temperance on the list of virtues here. What do we give her for that? So temperance being the willingness and correct response to things. Like you're, you're tempered, you, you react correctly. Yep, still, she's still, and, and I like how the she even uses temperance to judge Balaam. Like, right, why right. are you beating me? That is not the temperate response. No, this is yeah, what the temperate response yeah. would be. So she's very temperate. Uh, I don't think I gave a number. Nine. Nine, okay. Nine. Nine. Same reason, past Same me. reason, okay. Trying to keep my numbers here. I'm giving a 10, a, a big old fat 10 here. Yeah. She has some prudence going on here. If there is any creature that is prudent, it is Balaam's okay. talking donkey, which is hard to say. You want to say talking donkey. It's, it's weird that syllables get mixed up. All right, next we have on our list of virtues, uh, justice. So this is the, the proper order of things, keeping things in the proper order. Amanda. Um, again, like she's responding well and and there is an order to this and i like the creative solution you know when you have a way to go off the road you go off the road when when you can't get off the road you squeeze against the rocks and when you can't do either in the third path you just lay down um so she she is just and again she reminds balaam what justice is to be so she'll get a nine again okay pastor mike i'm gonna go with the 10 i think the reason i'm gonna go with the 10 is because there is these polar opposites with in comparison with the donkey and Balaam mm. and so I, I you know I, I'll go yep. ahead and give a 10 yep. the, the angel prefers the, <laughs> the donkey, donkey to Balaam I, I, a solid 10 here a solid 10 <laughs> all right though let's see we're on the last virtue we're on courage so what do mm. we think but this is the willingness to test virtues as much as it is um, being fortified being chased those sort of things it all falls into this category Pastor Amanda I'll give her a 10 on this one because she tests all the virtues very well. Yeah. And time again, time and time again, she's consistent over it. And I also enjoy in her courage, she talks back to Balaam. And Balaam's first response is not uh, screaming. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I'm going to try to justify my actions. And she's like, uh-uh, this ain't playing. And so she, she is courageous in every step of the way. Uh, and she is consistent in all her virtues. So I'll give her a 10. Pastor Mike? I'm going to go with a nine. Uh, you know, it, it, it is wisdom that keeps this donkey from going into uh, the the angel of the Lord. But at the same time, she knows it's a beating coming either way. Um, and so uh, there is a certain amount of courage there. I'm going to go with a nine. And you know what? I'm giving her a big old fat ten. Courage. Which brings in our final score in my little notebook here. Pastor Amanda gives her a 61. Mm-hmm. The best score you can get is a 70. That, mm-hmm. That's a really good score. In fact... Balaam's talking donkey has come in higher than any other creature we've <laughs> we've rated before. Very high on the cardinal virtues, 61. Pastor Mike does even better at a 64, mm. and I come in at the top with a 65. And you now, gave her a zero on one of them, I but you did zero. give her a 15. So <laughs> Right, right. So, yeah, Balaam's talking. Extra credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, extra credit. Comes in with a 65. That That is a high number. I don't know what that tells us when the, the donkey is is the one who is excelling here in in holiness and morality but as it is all right we're going to come back here in a moment we have one more element we're going to write in scripture and then we'll wrap up our program thank you for being here hang with us we'll be back here in a moment
Alrighty, we are coming back in the studio. Thank you for joining us. Again, I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor here with Pastor Amanda and Pastor Mike. Now we're going to do one more cardinal virtue test, our kind of fun game mm-hmm. for our last segment here. I know we did that twice today, but it's fun. We saw how God worked through a talking donkey. Well, let's see how God works through another miraculous wonder. The writing on the wall. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar, who is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Nebodinus, has married, you know, his daughter has married this guy, Nebodinus. Nebodinus, he's a little bit of a nerd, a little bit of a punk, too. He doesn't really want to be king. So Belshazzar, the son, who's technically a prince, is the one who kind of steps in the role of being a king. You kind of get that weird vibe there that the mother and the queen are the same thing in the story. It doesn't all get necessarily explained therein, but Belshazzar is the prince turned king. And he is a little bit unchaste. He would get a very bad score if we did him for cardinal virtues. He likes to do debaucherous things. In fact, to use the old English word, he is a debauchee, quite literally. He goes and he opens up the vessels and things stolen away from Israel and wants to pollute them, or from Judah. He wants to pollute them, to defile them, because he likes to set himself up as God. And for this, go see 2 Thessalonians uh, four or 2, 4. But I getting a little off on a tangent here. Let's read this story real quick, and then we're going to rate the hand. <laughs> I know that's a weird thing to, to, rate, or to rate the hand, but we're going to do that. Pastor Amanda, would you read this story for us sure. as well? So, we're, so oh. we're going to read just a few pieces of this. I'm going to have you read just Daniel chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 first. Okay. And then... I know I've got more in the notes. Just read those two verses, and then we'll come, and we'll read a little bit more. All right. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face became pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints loosened, and his knees began knocking together. All right, so this is awesome. I mean, it's an awesome story. We use the term colloquially, the writing is on the wall. And one of the things which is going to be fascinating about this is the message is actually not cryptic. Discernment is a lot more readily available than people want to admit it is. You just have to be willing to sacrifice yourself to the truth. Belshazzar doesn't want the message to be true, and so he, he basically ignores it. He gets confused by it. He calls in all the sorcerers, the Chaldeans. You know, get, you get the Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson, which is, or we have Ooh, Parson, as it's done here in this translation. We're going to read Pastor Manning, would you read Daniel chapter 5, verses 24 through 28? Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. This is the interpretation of the message, Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Paris, or uh, pronounce that word better for me. Uh, Paris, Paris. however you want to do it. (laughs) Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. All righty. Man, this is going to be fun. (laughs) So Daniel comes in and he translates this for him, which again, the language is not actually that cryptic. Daniel's just willing to stand in the truth. The others are not. That's really the magic of this story. It's crazy. It's actually a lot more simple. Um. That being said about a handwriting on a wall that just manifests out of nowhere. <laughs> Let's dive into this. Pastor Amanda, how would you rate the hand on its faith? I know this is a bit of a weird thing. How are you giving it on faith? Faith. 
Um, well, it's, yeah, it kind of doesn't think on its own, but as an instrument of God, it is faithful to the message that it is proclaiming. And so I'm, I'm going to give it a, a nine. You know, it is very faithful. It just keeps writing it over and over again. It, it just goes for yeah. it. It, yeah. d- it, it does not stop. <laughs> All right. Pastor Mike, what would you give it? I'll give it a 10 simply that there is an element of faith that is loyalty, and it is loyal to God. Who, um, And so, yeah, I'll give it a 10. I'm going to give it a 10, too. I mean, the hand, it just goes at it. It's very faithful to its purpose. The next one's a little bit more interesting. Hope. Oh. How much hope is here with this hand? Do we give the hand a nice score or not, Pastor Amanda? Again, this is it, it's odd because there there is hope for the people of God who are in exile in Babylon, right. and that basically they are being told the story and says that there is still going to be hope even as your kings are being conquered by other kings. But there's not much hope for uh, for Belshazzar. He's bad for Belshazzar. He has been weighed and measured and been mm-hmm. found wanting. So I'm going to give this a five because I think depending on where you land in the story is whether or not you have hope. So it, it's kind of like uh, yeah. half and half. So, Pastor Mike? I'm going to go with an eight, and I'm going out on a limb with that eight simply because if if there is that much faith and loyalty then there has to be hope and justice mm. uh, coming there from God. So I'm going to give the hope uh, an eight. My question is this. How much joy does the hand get? Because there, there is no hope for Belshazzar. No. Belshazzar, no, no. Belshazzar has been weighed and wanted. I'm going to use the same logic Amanda did and give it a five. So we'll just end there. Okay. The next one we've got on our list of cardinal virtues is charity, the willingness to empty out yourself for another. Pastor Amanda. If we're just judging the hand itself, I don't know what the hand loses. Like what it's risking. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's risking anything. It is being faithful. It is, you know, doing what it's supposed to do, but it doesn't risk any consequences against itself. Yeah. And we actually see where Belshazzar, Belshazzar, there we go. He risks a lot by disobeying God, but it's for selfish reasons. It's for himself. Uh, so there's not a lot of love in this story or nope. charity. Nope. So like nothing against the hand, but it's not risking anything. So I want to give it like a Ready? three. Okay, okay. We can give it a zero. We can sustain that. <laughs> but we'll give it a three. Pastor Mike? Well, um, I mean, we're dealing with a hand, but the hand also is about power. And the hand, I, I think, is speaking the truth. It is being used as an instrument of God more or less kind of like a prophet. Mm. Um, And so with all that being said, I think there's a certain amount of love and faithfulness that goes back to God. I'm going to go ahead and give it another eight um, simply because it speaks the truth. And and there should, you know, it's not like it's abusing the power. Um, It's it's doing what it's supposed to. And I believe it's doing it out of of reason and direction of God. So I'm going to have to give it an eight. I'm giving it a 10. (laughs) Okay. We don't know what this hand is attached to. We don't know what it does with this time. Yeah. You know, the devil, idle hands are the devil's playthings. He's a busy hand. Um, he's a hand of God, so he's not doing around nothingness. Uh, this hand probably has a lot of other hobbies and things it <laughs> likes to do. It has given up its time to come over here and write the same message over and over again. Doing a write-off is no fun. And this, this holy instrument, this holy appendage, has set aside whatever celestial habit it was involved in and came down here to do a write-off for a terrible, degenerate, reprobate king 
who is such an ingrate that he won't even give it heed. So I'm going to give it a 10. You, anything yeah. that would go to a write-off willingly for God as a prophet gets a 10 in my book. Well, what's the hand's name on Adam's family? That, I think it's just the it? thing, isn't it? Is it the thing? Is it it? No, it's it? not. No, it's thing. Yeah. yeah. I think it's thing. Because cousin it's the, the hairy right. one. Yeah. But, but uh, thing, it, yeah, that's all I could think of is like it was playing piano and God's like, yeah. hey, I need you to go. To you know, it, it is the, the thing of heaven. Maybe it plays the harp. Maybe it does play the piano. It, you know, he's got a lot of things he's got to do, and he has to come do a write-off, which if you're a hand being forced to do a write-off is a pretty degrading thing. If that's, if that's your, your business, being a hand and a singular hand, yeah, Zaye gets a 10. <laughs> Up next, we have prudence. So your wisdom, that enduring wisdom, that perseverance, prudence. Prudence. Uh, I'll give it an, a nine because, like we, we mentioned, he he writes it and he kind of stays there for a while. Yeah. Like it is not a, a an yeah. in, a, in and out job. Um, and there is even you have the king staring at it. So this is not even just kind of an apparate apparition of a hand. It it is almost solid, is what it seems to tell in the story. And so, uh, yeah, it was it had it had to endure for a while. So I'm going to do with prudence uh, an eight, yeah, or whatever number I gave. Right, right. Um, and I had a nine wrote down. Nine, right, Pastor that's good. Mike, what do you give it? I'm going to give an eight. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, again, I, I agree. There has to be, you know, you talk about prudence. Okay, so it has to understand what's going on there, I guess, or whatever is directing the hand has to do that. But, yeah, I'll give an eight. And you know what? Let's roll over here with another ten. <laughs> another ten. Um, may get higher than Balaam's donkey. Uh, it may get higher than Balaam's donkey. We're not done yet. We're not done yet. <laughs> It, it does, is very prudent in this. Um, it's very firm, too. It actually is speaking very clearly. It's not mincing words here. It's not giving mm. you some riddle. I mean, as much as this is often understood to be a riddle, it's actually pretty clear, like numbered, numbered, weighed, shattered. Mm. Like the writing is on the wall, Bubba. Like, yeah, we can see it. We, we can see we it. We still use that phrase. We, we yeah. still use that phrase. Why? Because you could see it. Mm. This is not a cryptic message. If it were meant to be cryptic, it would not have come. It has come so you can see it. Okay. Okay. All right. So next on our list uh, is uh, temperance. 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 Very interesting here. Pastor Amanda. Um, Yeah, I think the hand is very temperate. Again, we see the, the, the juxtaposition between Balaam and his donkey, and we see the juxtaposition between the hand and Belshazzar. Because Belshazzar is not temperate. No. He goes into and grabs all these things that are not his. And yes, yep. he's the warring king that conquered these lands and these are the spoils of war. But even his father or the king before him understood that these are still sacred objects. Yeah, yeah. Even if it wasn't to your god, these are right. still go- a god's objects. You don't right. mess with them. Yeah. And uh, yes, the hand is is a nine. It's, a t- it's very temperate. And because it knows what is the right response to this kind of intemperance, is that you will be weighed and found wanting. Yeah, okay. Pastor Mike? I'll give it a 10, uh, basically for the same reason Pastor Amanda did. But here there is this this polarized, uh, you know, from uh, Belshazzar all the way to, uh, you know, the hand. And, you know, the hand could, you know, uh, give some sign language there. to, But, no, it is doing what it was what it was supposed to do. And so it, it showed some restraint it, and was obedient. And, so. and you see, that's that's where I'm going to give it a zero. Oh, no. There was too much restraint. You you are a <laughs> hand who has manifest out of thin air to write on the wall. You are the quintessential spook. No howling, no rattling of chains. 
The best you can do is conjure up the king knocking his knees. I mean, people should be put in a coma. There should be people shaking in his boots. He he should be in a bed in a coma. He should be unconscious. There there is poor showmanship on you're being on the behalf of the hand. The hand could have done better. He phoned in this. He was prudent. He did many things well, but when it came to the the presentation, the style. He he did not he did not excel here. Temperance <laughs> demands that if you are a spook, you're a hand coming to write on the wall as a ghost. You you have to do that with all the style thereof. And and he he came short on that one. Come on, you, you've been too high, so you get a fat zero on temperance. Uh, and zero from. from I still touch. stay with the so team. so. All right. Next up, we have right. um, justice. justice. Justice, Pastor Amanda. Oh, yes. I mean, this is obviously, I think, or I'm going to say obviously and see what other two people say. Uh, But I'm going to give it a nine because we're talking, getting very kind of literal ideas of justice. And we think of of even uh, the the Greek imagery of justice, although this is what obviously the Greeks come later, of the scales of being weighed and the balance of it. And it is just very plain to see that this man has been um, he has been measured, he has been numbered, he has been weighed, and justice has determined you are you have you have not come out in the right order. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, 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 justice is, is very great here. The hand yeah. is portraying that justice very well. Yeah, Pastor Mike. You know, I, I don't know how much justice is an instrument of justice. I'm going to go with a nine. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm torn here. You know. You, you are an instrument of justice. You could at least try kind of the Vader, like, squeeze maneuver. <laughs> it doesn't even try that. It doesn't go for that. Um, it didn't know that was an option yet. It, it did not know that was an option yet. Perhaps that's why. Vengeance um, <laughs> uh, you know is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. But I can't, it, yeah. I can't get so close to the bark that I miss the tree. The whole purpose of this is justice in the proper order. So for that, I will go ahead and give it a 10 now that I've thought about it. It gets okay. a 10. Okay, so the for the final virtue is courage. courage. Now, this one could be interesting because courage is the willingness to test all other virtues. And you kind of ask yourself, is it testing any virtues? Is it well fortified? Maybe. We'll see what people rate it. Pastor Amanda. Yeah, I, I think because I feel like I gave it a low score on love. It didn't risk anything. And I don't know if it needed courage to portray the other virtues, that the other – that. I, I don't want to diminish the importance of angels and other the, the, these conversations we have of the stuff that's in in the kingdom of God um, and not quite of this world, but they don't have to be courageous because they're not. I don't know. I'm. I don't. I don't know. Uh, so I'm going to give him a five because I, again, I'm not sure he had to test the virtues. Right. He simply had to just be virtuous. Right. So. Right. There really isn't much of a of a danger when you're the spook. Pastor Mike. You know, I, I disagree. You're, you're going before the king. I don't know what the king does, but it, you know, there's a possibility the king you probably know, slaps some slaps hands. Slaps the hand. Uh, the rulers come out. Um, perhaps I don't know. Maybe a finger gets cut off. I'm going to give it a seven. Which... Having a finger cut off if you're a hand is a serious is, is, is a much more serious <laughs> offense than and if it's just one of many if digits. You have other appendages. If, if you only have those five appendages, if, if that do we know if it's a right hand or a left hand? We I don't, don't think know. it matters. We don't know, but I assume it's a right hand. I assume it's a right hand too. 
So you gave it a 10 on that one, Pastor Mike? I'd give it a 7. Oh, you gave it a 7. Okay. Um, which that that puts you there at 61 for your total. You know, I'm a little bit torn on this one. You see, if courage is testing the other virtues, he's done with the test. Like, the hand is is over as far as the test is concerned. You have already been found wanting on the scale yeah. of justice. There, there is no more testing to be done. But at the same time, under this category is fortification. You know, your reservation and motivation, or and excuse me, moderation, which it scores very high on. So I'm a little bit torn. I'm going to have to split the difference on this one with a five, which brings my final score up to 50. Mm. Pastor Amanda's to 49 mm. through wildly different logics. We both arrived very similarly, very which is what often happens with these. But then Pastor Mike is just way out in another domain. He has surpassed <laughs> the the knowledge that we have and entered into a place where the hand gets a solid score of 61 uh-huh. on the cardinal virtue. Much test. higher than Jonah. Much higher than Jonah. <laughs> um, I don't think that's a high bar. <laughs> but not high as the donkey. Not as high as the donkey. So there we have it. We'll wrap that up. One final point that I want to make about our earlier conversation about love and psychology. In our modern world, we often put this idea together that if you love someone, you'll kind of go along with their desires or whatnot. Biblically, that is not true. Biblically, asserting truth and pulling someone towards the truth is more loving than just leaving them wherever they're at. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining us. We are Kingdom of the Logos. That's the name of the studio here. We thank you for joining us. May God love you. Have a blessed day.